The Tom Woods Show, episode 2334. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey, everybody. As the academic year winds down, it's time to start thinking about what you're going to do in the fall. And of course, I highly recommend the self-taught K-12 through Ron Paul curriculum. Not only will your kids get the real story about everything, but they'll also learn the kinds of practical things that they won't learn in the traditional school. For instance, how to be an effective public speaker, how to manage money, and how to run your own home business. And of course, when they reach the high school grades, they will be learning Western civilization and U.S. government from old Tom Woods here. But here's the most important thing. If you're going to join, make sure you join through my link, because only through my link do you get $160 worth of free bonuses. My link is ronpaulhomeschool.com. Everybody, Tom Woods here. Surprise, Scott Horton is back with us again for a second episode in a row. No, it is not Scott Horton week, but it is Scott Horton 48 hours. So Scott, welcome back. Happy to be here, Tom. All right, and look, I'm going to be making a push at the end, but I really, really want to urge people, Scott did not ask me to do this, and if he did, I would have been a little creepy, but I'm doing this entirely of my own volition. I support Scott Horton, so I'm not asking you to do anything I don't do myself. But this guy has been laboring for us in the trenches for as long as any of us can remember, working and working and putting in all the effort to master all the material he's mastered. He's doing this for us, for the cause, for the noblest cause there is, really, which is peace in the world. So in return, throw a few bucks over there at Scott. You can go to scotthorton.org slash donate. Is that the link? Yes, sir. And of course, you yeah. can write it off on your taxes if you go to libertarianinstitute.org slash donate and support me and all my guys, too. Yeah, you can do that, too. You can do that, too. You get a tax deduction if you go to libertarianinstitute.org slash donate. But whatever you do, do what Woods does. And you don't have to do everything I do. One of the things I do is support Scott Horton. And so I strongly urge you to do the same. All right. Thank you for that. Appreciate that, Tom. Oh, my pleasure. My, I mean, for heaven's sake, right? We're always talking about the voluntary society. Well, people would voluntarily support the, well, okay, well, now put your money where your mouth is, right? Let's voluntarily support the very people we say in a free society we would voluntarily support. All right, we're going to talk about this Durham report today. I feel like I cannot pass this by, and I am hoping to beat Dave Smith to the punch on this. Like, I'm hoping that getting this episode out today means Dave's episode will be later than mine. I don't know but I feel like it's an absolute certainty he's doing one. And for once, Tom Woods is going to be out in front. Thanks to Scott Horton helping me out. So you ready to start talking about this thing? Yes. And I'm going to be probably behind both y'all, but I'm going to try to get an interview with my old friend, Peter Van Buren. He's been having some health problems, but if I can have him on, he's the best of the best on this all this time. He's the reason, well, he's one of the reasons I'm so good on it. So, Well, that's very good of you to say. I've had him on myself on other topics, and I agree with you. He really is great. So first of all, who's Durham and what was the point of this report? Hmm. Well, it's interesting about Durham. I know little about this, but I know enough to say that he was the guy who did sort of the cleanup operation after the Whitey Bulger scandal, where it was revealed that the FBI was letting him murder people and run all kinds of crimes for years and years as long as he was working for them. So we got a reputation as being an honest guy for coming in and sort of cleaning house, internal affairs kind of thing during that. And I really don't know the details there, whether that's a fair characterization of his role there or what, but that's what they say about him. 
But then more importantly for me than that is that when the Barack Obama government sort of opened an investigation, a preliminary investigation to see whether they would have an investigation into CIA torture and obstruction of justice over the destruction of all the evidence of their torture, including the videotapes, he was brought in and very quickly, I think, or whatever, eventually narrowed the focus from torture to just the murder of two different guys by the CIA, one Abdul Jamadi at Abu Ghraib, who was hanging from the ceiling with his arms behind his back till he suffocated to death, another named Gul Rahman, I believe, who was chained to the floor and frozen to death in the salt pit torture dungeon outside of Kabul, Afghanistan. And anyway, he decided that, now nah, we're not going to press charges. In other words, the CIA can torture people even to death and there's no, as Al Gore would put it, no controlling legal authority that says that they can't. And that's the American empire right there. And that was his job. So that was as close as we ever got to accountability for the Bush torture regime. And Durham was the one who put it all to bed for them. Then in this case, which is the question you're really asking me, Tom, sorry, is what's he doing here and what's he reporting on? After the complete flop of the Mueller report, this was the former director of the FBI under W. Bush, who was brought in to be the special counsel to investigate Trump's nefarious collusion with the Russians, the Russiagate hoax, which the investigation itself was the hoax that lasted for officially two years, but the whole thing all in all, three years almost. After that all failed... Trump succeeded in appointing a special counsel to investigate what was the origin of Russiagate in the first place. And that is the role of John Durham here. And he brought three prosecutions. One of them, he got a guilty plea from an FBI lawyer who changed a FISA application to erase the fact that Carter Page, the Trump campaign volunteer or associate, was a loyal CIA asset and not a traitor. He erased that right out of there. And he pled guilty to that and got probation. And then he brought two more cases, one against Igor Danchenko, who was the primary source for the phony Steele dossier, and another against Michael Sussman, who was a lawyer for the law firm Perkins Coy, which the Clinton campaign hired to really kick this hoax off in large part in the summer of 2016. In both of those cases, the charge was lying to the FBI. And in both cases, those cases failed and they were acquitted, which that shouldn't really be a crime anyway. And they're both guilty as hell, no matter what the stupid jury says in both of those cases too, by the way. And we have all of that on the record and can show it. So, and people can look into all the trial evidence. And so, Personally, I've been good on this the whole time because, of course, what an obvious hoax it was. I interviewed a computer security expert in July. In fact, before Crossfire Hurricane kicked off, Crossfire Hurricane was announced on July 31st, but it was April Glaspie Day, the anniversary of the day April Glaspie, acting on behalf of James Baker, told Saddam Hussein to go ahead and invade Kuwait. We don't care in 1990. I celebrate it every year. It was April Glaspie Day, 2016. Six sorry, days. Scott. I just I love that there's an April Glassby day in the Scott Horton world. Yeah, sorry. It is what it is. <laughs> but then it was six days later they actually announced the investigation. So six days before the official investigation, never mind, it wasn't announced. It began on the 31st, Crossfire Hurricane. 
Six days before that, I interviewed a computer security expert named Jeffrey Carr, who explained that it's just a hoax that this company CrowdStrike claims that they can show and demonstrate and prove that it was the Russians who hacked the Democratic National Committee campaign servers and pilfered their emails. And he's a high-level computer security expert who says no one can say that by examining the server because it's just too easy to fake and leave fake fingerprints behind. As we know from the Vault 7 leak published by WikiLeaks, the CIA had a program for that called Marble, which is all about how to break into a computer and make it look like somebody else did it. And you don't have to be the CIA. There are others who are capable of doing such a thing too. Carr said there's only one agency in the world, one group of experts in the world who can tell you exactly what happened there. And that's the American National Security Agency because they have access to every packet on the planet. They can rewind essentially everything, total information awareness. And they can look and see who did what in the past. No problem. And that was why when the Reality Winner document came out at The Intercept, it was supposed to prove that it's all true. See, Glenn, that's what she was trying to prove. Look, Glenn Greenwald, it's all true. Not that he was the one who leaked it and got her busted. That's a old wives' tale. But it was the editors who did. But when they published the document, you can see right there that the National Security Agency, they only gave these claims a medium confidence. In other words, they were being polite to the FBI and not contradicting them, but they were not the origin. They were not saying we judge with high confidence. That's where this hat came from. And that was one of, it's not exactly the, but it's among the most important kind of basis origin stories of this whole scandal. And unfortunately, as far as I can tell, and I'm going slowly through it because I'm taking notes for the book too, but as far as I can tell, he doesn't address that in this review, unfortunately, the origin of the hack. But anyway, I wanted to say, I'm off on a tangent. My point, Tom, was I never believed in this stuff. There's a lot of really great journalists who deserve a lot of credit for being really good on this the whole time, including our friends Ray McGovern and David Stockman and Sheldon Richman. And of course, most famously, Michael Tracy, Matt Taibbi, and Glenn Greenwald. But a lot of other people, too, were really great on this, including a lot of leftists who had no reason whatsoever to favor Trump. Oh, Robert Perry at Consortium News, of course. They had no reason to favor Trump. They just don't like lies. <laughs> they don't like it when the FBI and the CIA try to intervene in an election when they got no authority to whatsoever. And so... For those of us who've been keeping watch on this all along, what's happened now with this Durham report finally is that we've been ratified in everything we were saying. And hilariously, right after I got off the phone with you yesterday, I opened up Twitter and there was final Durham report is out right after I had just been complaining to you how I got bogged down writing and how my section, not chapter, my section in the Trump chapter on Russiagate is already like 40 pages then this came out and now I'm going through it and all he's doing is telling me I'm right. All I'm doing is going through and finding choice quotes just to reaffirm the things that I already told you even better. And so what can I say? Well, let's get into this here. Obviously, we've heard an awful lot about Russiagate for quite some time. And no matter what information came out, it never seemed to dissuade the true believers that there, no, there, there still is some smoking gun or there really is some relationship between Trump and Russia, no matter what. So this thing came out, this Durham report, that basically says, look, there was no evidence of anything 
at the time that this investigation was ordered. There was no evidence of anything. So then I saw, now I'll grant you, I did not press play on it, but I saw likewise on Twitter that Joe Scarborough on his morning show basically said, oh, this thing is all nothing. This is a big flop. Well, how can you look at this report and say, I was wondering, how are they going to spin this? And somehow he's still trying to stick to it. Sure. Well, the spin is easy. And I saw this immediately in my Twitter replies from the liberals, which is, oh, yeah, well, where are all the prosecutions? I was like, come on, man. You think they're going to put the former director of national intelligence in prison? The former director of the CIA? The former director of the FBI in prison for this? Yeah, but you know what? They need come to. Come on. They're not going to do that. They need to. Well, yeah, but that's completely besides the point. I mean, because you know. all we got was this statement about how, yeah, you know, these missteps that have been chronicled, sure. these occurred in 2016 and 17, and we've made some reforms since then, so they won't they happen They do yet. say that in there, yeah. And no prosecutions recommended. Hey, look, I mean, I picked up on this when I was a little kid, that even over the worst kind of things, oh, yeah, no, American-backed mercenaries in Nicaragua hacked all these nuns to pieces. So this was a cause for some embarrassment on the part of officials in Washington, huh? But that's as bad as it gets for them. That's as bad as it gets, but yet Trump, they will put him on trial for absolutely anything. Yeah, well, and that's the joke here, is this thing was fake. And as you say about the true believers, that's an important point here. The term conspiracy theory is so unfairly abused. I mean, but the thing is, there really is such a thing. I used to be much more of a conspiracy kook. I was like a John Birch New World Order kook in the 1990s. The Rockefellers always win. And whatever happens in foreign policy, it's all because one day they're building a one world federal government under the United Nations. And it all fit until it just didn't especially in the drive to Iraq War II, all that fell apart. Dick Cheney's not a one-worlder, man. It's just different than that. Neither is Richard Pearl, for that matter. And I understand that way of thinking, and I've been around a lot of kooks in my life, too. And there are alternative culture kooks of the right and the left, and there are very mainstream ones. And there really is such a thing as this closed-loop, circular reasoning, conspiracy thinking. And you can pick on 9-11 truthers who are right about some things, or you can pick on whatever kind you want. I prefer to pick on the powerful truthers and look at, in fact, this is one of the things that cured me of being such a conspiracy nut, is even though I had predicted 9-11 before it happened and said it's all going to be a hoax and whatever, for years I'd said it was going to happen. But after it did happen, I could see how... They were jumping all these conclusions about a missile that hit the Pentagon and all these bombs in the towers and all this nonsense and cherry picking little facts to make it seem right, right at the exact same time that that's what Richard Pearl and Paul Wolfowitz and Dick Cheney were doing in trying to make it look like Saddam Hussein did it. And they were doing it in perfect parallel. And it was the same kind of bogus thinking. And I could just see, yeah, I don't want to be part of that. I'd rather be slower and more careful and right later, I guess. But this Russiagate thing is pure conspiracy theory. And of course, they spent years saying that you're a conspiracy theorist if you don't believe in it, right? Oh, conspiracy theorists would have you believe that the FBI and the CIA just made all this up, right? But what was it that they actually had? It was just like the case against Saddam Hussein. It's 10 times zero, still equals zero. They can make claim after claim after claim, but it's just not true. It adds up all to nothing. So in this case, you have Papadopoulos and you have Page and you have Sessions and you have 
of course, Mike Flynn, and you have the Alpha Bank and the Yada phones, and you have all of these, and it goes on and on and on. The hacking of C-SPAN and Mike Flynn supposedly being seduced by this Russian spy, and of course, all of the Facebook and Twitter ads, none of it, none of it was true. None of it. This is all just pure lies. But if you believe in it, like say you're some lady that listens to NPR News in the afternoon on the way home from work, and you buy into all of this stuff, then it all makes sense. It all fits together. See, Trump is compromised. They got this P tape on him and they got him all blackmailed. And so now he's got to work with them to make sure to rig the election. And so they send Michael Cohen, his lawyer to Prague to arrange to pay off the hackers. And then they Paul Manafort and Carter Page give him his secret instructions and they secretly communicate by way of the Alpha Bank server. See all this? It's total just trutherism. It is in the worst way. It's just total retardation. The whole thing is completely stupid. You have to believe it. You have to believe in each little bit of it for it all to hold up. But once you actually look at any piece of it in depth, you know, one of them was the pretty redheaded gun rights activist, Maria Butina. Aha, see, she came in and she seduced this guy, Paul Erickson, I believe it was, and made him change the Republican Party platform. No, she didn't. She was here to try to learn how to legalize guns in Russia, to copy us, right? And she had palled around with all kinds of Republicans, and everybody knew who she was, and she had a thing with this guy, Erickson. They had a personal relationship, not some spy swallow type thing. And they just lied and called her a swallow, called her, you know, a honeypot for this guy, locked her in solitary confinement where she couldn't defend herself, and acted like she was, remember Anna Chapman, the pretty redheaded spy from a few years ago who really was a spy? They acted like Butina was part of that. And it's just another one. Look at this deluge of accusations, like Saddam Hussein's giant human shredder and all his chemical weapons and all of his things. How can you deny it when the lies don't stop coming? They must be coming from somewhere. Yeah, they're coming from the lie factory where they come up with these things. So it really is pure circular kind of truthism. And as you say, just like with, and I hate to pick on 9-11 truthers, but there's a lot of stupidity in 9-11 trutherism. Never mind the good parts. But if you debunk some of their things, then they just go, okay, well, but what about this? But what about this? But And just switch to the next thing, you know, because it's got it somehow something is holding this thing up. Otherwise, why would they believe it? And that's completely the case with Russiagate. And all that happened was there were apparently three origins. The British at the end of 2015 told the CIA they thought something was going on. We don't know exactly what, but we know by April, the CIA was investigating Carter Page. And then it's difficult to say exactly what happened, but I try to go through it in my book. It seems like this guy Papadopoulos was set up. You know the term parallel construction, Tom, when they're illegally tapping somebody's phone, but then they pretend that they just pulled them over for a broken taillight as an excuse to have a legal reason to intervene and prosecute. It seems like they were doing parallel construction and setting up Papadopoulos to be the predicate. And especially this is in the Durham report. It's clearer than it's ever been that they were just 
absolutely seizing on this bogus information and immediately opened the full-fledged of investigations, nothing preliminary at all, skipped two or three steps to the big kind, and then immediately went from Papadopoulos and then also added Page and Flynn and Sessions and essentially by one or two hops, the rest of the entire campaign in the summer of 2016. And it's clear from, and we've known this for years, this came out, I think, even before the IG report, that the leaders of the FBI counterintelligence division were telling each other, we're going to stop him from becoming president. We're not going to let him become president, are we? No, we're going to stop it. And of course, I'm skipping around too much, but another angle here was that you had the DNC hack. And then we know... This is actually a great new development in this part of the story is, of course, they blame that on the Russians. And we knew from the Trump years, his director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, had released this document that proved that John Brennan, then the head of the CIA, had briefed Obama himself that the Russians knew that he was sourcing them, but clearly believed it too, that this is a fact, that there is a Clinton plan, capital P, Clinton plan. You might as well put quotes around it. It's an official title of a thing. The Clinton plan is to stir up a scandal about Trump being tied to Russia to distract from the email scandal being, in this case, not the missing 30,000, but the DNC leak and the DCC. And then later the Podesta emails came into play that were embarrassing to her and showed that they had cheated against Bernie Sanders in the primaries in 2016. And so we knew already that Brennan had briefed that to Obama in what sounds almost like plausible deniability that like, hey, you know, I did tell you, I didn't keep it from him. That might've got him in trouble. I don't know. But now we know, even though that was in early August, that at the end of September, John Durham says this intelligence was still going around in reports that the underlings were delivering to the highest level bosses at CIA, DOJ, and FBI, telling them, remember now, we know about this Clinton plan to stir up this story about Trump. And they just, as Durham puts it, they just clearly chose to ignore every exculpatory thing and pretend every little other thing was inculpatory, as they put it, even when it wasn't. Look, all their sources, all the people that had talked to Page and had talked to Papadopoulos, the FBI had interviewed everyone and knew that there was nothing to any of this. Still, the latest one was, I believe, uh, Misfood, Mifsud, the guy who had supposedly told Papadopoulos that the Russians had some kind of dirt on Hillary. He had told the FBI enough for them to know there was nothing to it in January of 2017. And same for all the witnesses on the topic of Page and Papadopoulos too. So this is before Trump is ever sworn in. And in fact, I think that was on the 10th of January. And then two days later, they released that bogus intelligence assessment, which is just a made up thing. They sort of pretended like it was a national intelligence estimate from the National Intelligence Council, when later they had to admit it was people who were, quote, handpicked by John Brennan from the FBI, CIA, and NSA to write this completely bogus report. I mean, you can read it. The thing is full of nothing. It's full of claims with no evidence. There's not even particular claims in there. It's just Trump people met with Russian officials or something like that. They don't even tell you anything that you can check. And then they even say in there, hey, just because we judge something with high confidence does not mean that we have evidence of it. 
They say that right in there. Disclaimer. We're not saying this is true. And then at the end, I swear this is true. Check me. They tacked on, I believe it was a 12-page, essentially like whining screed about how they don't like RT that was left over from years before that they just tacked on to the end of the assessment like a high school kid would to make it seem thicker when all it is is them complaining that RT covers the Occupy movement and covers fracking and covers wars and things that make them look bad. And it had nothing to do with anything. These are the same people. I mean, really, they are the same people who think you and I need to be monitored for misinformation. Oh, yeah. No, listen, I mean, this is... And Matt Tybee, I'm begging people to go and subscribe to this guy's racket.com news, racket news, it's called. Matt Taibbi is a hero of our age for his journalism on these Twitter files. And he's got a bunch of great journalists working with him now. They just released a piece last week. We ran us the spotlight on antiwar.com and it's 50 major organizations that you need to understand. It's Oh, it's just insane, Tom. A homework assignment you never wanted. This massive list of these so-called non-governmental organizations. I forgot who coined the phrase next to government organizations, but I like it. I'm not taking credit for that, but that's basically what they are. And their role in this entire censorship regime. It is a massive censorship industrial complex, completely wedded to the government and to these agencies all on the subject of what we're allowed to say and not allowed to say and how to control all the technology to control us and all these things and how it started, of course, you know me, I got to go back to roots. W. Bush gave Baghdad to the Shiites. So then Obama had to try to take Damascus away from them. So how do he do that? He backed Al-Qaeda in Syria. And then that turned into the Islamic State Caliphate that invaded and conquered all of Western Iraq. Oops. So then they had to launch Iraq War three again on behalf of the Shiites to destroy the Sunni Caliphate that they had built to spite the Shiites because they were mad at them for fighting Iraq War II for them. Well, during all of this, they had to create the anti-radicalization network of how do you get young Muslims, particularly in Europe, and tell them things that make them not mad about all the bombs that were dropping over there so that they don't join up the war on the other side that can be turned against us when we're not using it against Assad, as we saw with multiple atrocities by ISIS, especially in Europe, and a couple inspired by ISIS here in the United States during the Obama years. So they had a real crisis. So they came up with all of this miss and dis and malinformation and this and that complex all grew up to try to stem, just like trying to solve the immigration crisis they caused in Europe, right? They're just trying to figure out how to ameliorate the consequences of the terrible crisis that they'd caused. Well, then after the ISIS thing more or less died down, all these people had to either figure out how to get the government to censor something else or they're going to have to get real jobs. And so then the next big issue was Russian interference, sowing discord in our democracy. And someone says a thing that sounds like something that the Russians would possibly agree with, then that's Russian miss and dis and malinformation. And we got a whole thing about why you should pay us hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in contracts to help you figure out who's allowed to say what all the time. And then they do this. These massive institutions, a lot of times connected to universities, they're almost uniformly, I believe, nonprofit organizations, but cashing in on huge contracts. And of course, 
You're very familiar with how this exact same regime was then turned against people who were against all the restrictions during the germ regime. And then as soon as, and this is the only good thing about the war in Ukraine is they finally shut up about the damn germ to talk about Ukraine instead. And then they went right on censoring people who were against the common narrative on Ukraine, which is where we are now. And the problem is not solved. It's a huge problem. And frankly, like, I don't know what's going to happen with my book, but like I could see, for example, when my book comes out, maybe they'll just say like, nope, this is just Russia's point of view. And you're just, we're going to ghost ban whatever, downrank all your searches and all of your things. You know, I don't know how bad it'll be, but I know they'd like to. Before I go on, let me say a quick thing that will help a lot of you and you know who you are. If you are in business and you're getting buried by your competition online, then build your brand, your reputation, and your lead flow with digital marketing by Persist SEO, our great sponsor. If you're a small local business, you're trying to compete against large companies in the service industry, increase your visibility with Persist SEO. Or if you have low or no leads coming in on a consistent basis, well, website search engine and conversion optimization can help move the needle to a more prosperous business model for you. If you're tired of cold calling, use your website as a lead generation engine. If you're not showing up for your services on the search engines, then get found with Persist SEO's expert search engine optimization. All you have to do is call 770-580-3736 or visit them at ineedseo.help for a free website audit and consultation. That's 770-580-3736 or ineedseo.help. Scott, here's what I'm thinking. I feel like we're at a kind of crossroads that I don't think we've been at in my lifetime because think about 20 years from now. I mean, because, you know, when you were taking U.S. history in school, you never got to the last two chapters, you know, so like it, maybe you got to the Vietnam War if you were lucky, but you never got beyond that. Right. So let's imagine a generation down the road. The teachers finally managed to get to the last chapter of the textbook and it's this chapter. It's the chapter of the last 10, 20 years. Yeah. How are historians going to tell people that, yes, the FBI basically made this stuff up out of whole cloth and the whole thing was a scam and almost all of the major opinion molders in American society insisted it was true and dissidents who tried to say it was false were demonized. How are they going to tell that story? My feeling is, especially given that by telling the story, they are saying that, yet yeah, Trump did not actually imagine didn't make it up in his head that there was a witch hunt against him. That actually was true, it turns out. They can't tell that story. But yet, as a historian, you're obligated to tell that story. I feel like they just cannot. They're metaphysically incapable of telling these kinds of truths. So I feel like we're going to, not that I've ever trusted the stupid textbooks. I mean, I've, made a, I've made a living out of smashing what's in the stupid textbooks. But I feel like this is a whole nother level now. Yeah, And I just wonder what you expect to happen. I mean, what are the historians going to say? Well, look, I mean, if you want to make a comparison to the assassination of Kennedy, for example, I think people never really felt like what they were saying was true. But the alternative kind of stories about it that, I mean, the most obvious one being that the CIA did it, that always really remained the minority report and probably like a very significant minority a loud and persistent one, one that everybody had heard of, but for like social psychology reasons and polite society, we pretend that the Warren Commission is not that bad. You know, like 
among university people or among business people or whatever. That's more like an alternative culture take that the government somehow did it, something like that. In this case, the conservative right were the ones who were being tread on, who are in many ways the party of the police apparatus. The damage is done there in such a way that I'm not, I'm sure they'll all kiss and make up eventually. But I think, especially for the federal police, just like after Waco, for the federal police, maybe it's easier for right-wingers to say, well, I like my local cops, but those feds, boy, are they out of line. And in this case, they're so far out of line. And look, you know, I think something like half the population never bought it, right? Like, this is part of the problem. And this is why I thought, I'm so naive, you know, even after all this time. In the summer of 16, I was telling people on my show that this is never going to take. I mean, the guy is not just is he a real estate tycoon from New York who is in practice a capitalist and a Republican, which makes him almost impervious to red baiting. And I know that the Russians aren't commies anymore, but that's still it's the Kremlin. And it's basically the same old Alger his story that they're trying to push on us here, right? Although... Hiss was guilty, but anyway. But that's the narrative kind of that they're pushing. But it's not just that. It's that Donald Trump is like the most famous man who ever lived, even before he was president. He's as famous as, I think, more famous than Michael Jackson, probably more famous than at least equal in fame to Barack Obama on a worldwide and especially in America basis. I knew he was going to win when I read that he had been the host of that show, American Apprentice, or The Apprentice, I guess, for 14 yeah. seasons. And I was like, oh, that's, dude, I mean, I don't watch primetime TV, but I know Americans do, and that guy's going to win. And that just means as fake as he is on TV or whatever, we all know who the real Donald Trump is. I've known who the real Donald Trump is since I was a little boy in 1983 or something and saw him on uh, Robin Leach, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Like, the guy's completely as transparent as glass. And so the idea that he's somehow a traitor for a foreign nation, the whole thing was obviously completely crazy in the first place. And it's amazing that they were able to push it so hard. And it is the big lie theory that, again, you're the kook for not believing it. I mean, are you really saying that all these forces are ganging together to make it look like it's true when it's not? Because that is a conspiracy itself. And so then the idea is that they wouldn't lie to me, not on my own damn TV, as Willie Nelson said. So anyway, and you know what? I'm sorry because I'm off on a tangent, but I want to go back to one that I meant to say earlier that I think I didn't say, which was about the origin of this story in the Clinton campaign, because there were these different kind of origins that sort of came together with the page first and then Papadopoulos, which I think was a setup. And then I think I didn't get to the part about how the Clinton campaign hired this law firm, Perkins Coy, and they were the ones who hired GPS, the uh, I'm completely spacing it out. Uh, Fusion GPS, which yeah. was run by this guy, Glenn Simpson, the former Wall Street Journal reporter. And they hired Fusion GPS, and he's the guy, Glenn Simpson and Fusion GPS, they were the ones who hired Christopher Steele, the British agent, to write the bogus Steele report. And then another project of theirs was on claiming that they had intercepted a bunch of extra Russian internet traffic around Trump Tower and then later around the Trump White House. And another was about the Yada phones. This is a brand of Russian smartphone, a Russian brand of smartphone that they said, oh, they had on the network that these Yada phones were signing in and out in areas around Trump in a way that they said was suspicious. And they also 
had originated the Alpha Bank hoax, which is closely related, which was that I guess they had found a kernel of truth, which was the some Trump server was spamming the Alpha Bank in Russia and was getting some kind of pingback or another. But all it was, it was just spam for the Trump hotel that was going out to whoever, you know, millions of addresses, or I don't know the number, but many addresses around the world and including the Russian Alpha Bank, but it meant absolutely nothing. And in fact, Robert Mueller showed, or at least claimed, I guess I should say, that Putin actually had complained to the leader of Alpha Bank that, you know, I don't have any good contacts inside that Trump group. <laughs> Ironically, in a completely unrelated conversation, just kind of funny footnote there. And so this was yeah. obviously a huge part of all this. And they were trying to funnel all this information to the FBI to get the FBI to take the bait, even though they'd already taken it by the time most of this stuff was being shoveled on them. And then they admitted to that the case against Papadopoulos was so thin that then when they got the Steele dossier, they glommed onto it immediately in order to change the subject of the investigation to Carter Page. Even though the accusation against Page in that dossier were absolutely farcical, if you believed them, there was more substance to them than even the worst case scenario about Papadopoulos, which was that story was just going nowhere. So that was when they switched the lie from Papadopoulos to the lie about Page who again, it turned out, was a loyal CIA asset and for apparently obvious patriotic and I guess self-interested reasons, every time he went to Russia and met with a Russian government official or important businessman of any kind, he always immediately went to the CIA and debriefed them about every bit of it. And one part of the CIA, I guess that wasn't involved in framing this poor schmuck, had sent a memo to the FBI telling them, no, this guy works for us. He's cool. Which they, again, censored from their application for the FISA warrant. Would you say this is more or less wrapped up with this report? That does it? Yeah, I mean, I have to plead guilty that I'm only about a quarter of the way through it. And there's a lot in here already. I haven't, I don't think, learned too much other than, wow, he's going to go ahead and go that far and admit that much, huh? Just like I had speculated. And here's the confirmation. Like, I'm getting that all the way through. I was joking on Twitter earlier that now that I'm going through my Russiagate section, sprinkling it with Durham quotes, it's starting to look like I'm just copying him. But I got the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of footnotes that show otherwise. But he is just showing that the doubter's version, my doubter's version is absolutely right on with this. But no, I mean, nobody's going to be prosecuted for it. I guess if Trump gets reelected, he'll try to do something. But I don't know what power I'll have to actually bring anybody to account for this. I think kind of like we were talking about with the censorship earlier and with the future history being written is it really is a tragedy that people are going to still believe this no matter what. I guess one, it's too hard to say, boy, was I an idiot for believing these liars, which can be really tough for people to say. Well, at the same time, admitting that all those people you detest were right. And while you don't have to, because all the people, you know, in this case, if you're on the liberal side, you're surrounded by plenty of people who, like you, also want to keep believing it anyway, or at least just drop the subject and pretend like, oh, that was a long time ago and it doesn't matter that much or something. But, you know, like if you lived in a Hyde Park in Austin, Texas, there's nobody around you that wants to get to the bottom of this thing with you. You know, who really set this thing up in the first place? We know Halper was in touch with Paige way back in April. Wow. I mean, sorry, that's complicated, but that's before, you know, Miss Foot ever met with Papadopoulos. 
whatever. I don't have the timeline right, but something close. Yeah, but look, Scott, I guess one of the things that I could imagine somebody saying as a result of all this is that, well, the silver lining in all this is that now there's at least a substantial chunk of the country that is absolutely confirmed in not trusting major federal agencies. Here, here. And that is a good thing. Absolutely. I'll grant that. I mean, that, that has done an awful lot of good in waking people up. But the thing is, now that they are awake, now you kind of want to see action. It's not enough to wake them up. Okay, now we're awake, but now what do we do? No one's going to get punished for anything like this. So I think that's the discouraging thing. I mean, I'm encouraged that the truth more or less has come out, and I'm encouraged that it's made people profoundly cynical about seemingly untouchable institutions. That's great. But no one's going to touch those institutions. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, especially the FBI. I mean, I think we like to imagine them being less powerful than they really are. And if you have them for an enemy, this is what Bill Hicks said, and he's absolutely right about this. That that was what was going on at Waco, was they were making an example out of those people. That comes down to it. We'll kill all of y'all and your children. We will win and you will lose. That's what FBI stands for. And hands up might not be good enough. And if they don't like your major party presidential candidate, they'll frame him for treason. They'll do whatever they want. They're the Gestapo, essentially. They're completely lawless. So from my point of view, and I know that I'm going to have to edit all of this out when it comes down to it, but the way I've written my Russiagate thing here, the section of my book on it, it's just seething with contempt and hatred and scorn and shame because that's all we can do is ridicule these people. It's all, you know, I call Scott Shane and Mark Mazzetti at New York Times, these soulless automatons mouthing these FBI lies in the newspaper for the American people to read. Like they're not even real human beings at all, are they? They're serving. They're like, it's like the mouth of Sauron, some kind of thing. I want their sons to be ashamed of them. Like what else do I, can I do? Except go look, everybody, it's that rat, Mark Mazzetti, because that's the only power I got. But I do feel like, what if that was convincing? Like, what if everyone really was just over the New York Times and the government had to find a whole new paper to try to funnel their lies through because people just weren't going to take it anymore? Well, that's another example of the untouchables here. But there's a couple things. I think, first of all, us libertarians are still a small minority and we just have so much more work to do to get people to agree with us on this stuff. If our minority report that just there's no legitimacy in this agency's authority whatsoever and let's get rid of them and we're not kidding, we really mean it and let's replace them with nothing and we really mean it, let's do it tomorrow. If that was really how people felt about it in large measure, we might not be rid of them, but we would definitely get some kind of change, right? The problem is, of course, that when the party switches in power, Trump was an aberration, right? Because the government was never loyal to him. It's like when the Muslim Brotherhood was elected in Egypt. The whole government just stood there with their arms crossed and refused to move until he was gone. And it's the same kind of thing with Trump, where the government itself kind of rejected his authority. But like, if you go back to look at W. Bush years, the right loved W. Bush, Lou Rockwell wrote, The Reality of Red State Fascism. And there was nothing that John Ashcroft could do that would be crossing the line to the American right at that time. The FBI, these are our greatest heroes. They frog march 100 innocent framed up Muslims on bogus charges across the nightly news. And the American right all cheered for that and loved to believe in that. That's no different than what they did to Trump. Same old COINTELPRO operation that they did to Trump. So then... 
as Carol Quigley said back in 66, right? The only reason to even have two parties is so that you can throw the rascals out every eight or even four years, if necessary, without ever leading to a substantial shift in power. But half of the population is dissatisfied, but half the population is satisfied half the time. And then you just switch back and forth again. I mean, our challenge is to remind people about Waco and remind people about Iraq and Syria and Russiagate all the time, no matter who's in power. The U.S. Army tested germ weapons on the American people back in the 50s. Your grandfather should have overthrown them back then. That should have been enough. What more do you need? They tested germ weapons on the American population. Why are we even entertaining the idea? They burnt Waco to the ground, a house full of women and children. They knew it was nothing but women and children in that concrete room when they dumped that CS gas in there and set that house on fire. And nobody overthrew him then. So, I mean, maybe if they had burned Trump in his church, that would have finally crossed the line, but Trump doesn't go to church. So, I don't know. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, look, all I can do is report what's going on. It's going to count for something. Yeah. Well, look, you know, I get this is completely marginal, but I did that debate with Bill Crystal, And it was funny because I had just gotten back from Minnesota with the founder of the Defend the Guard movement up there is a former paratrooper from the 82nd Airborne, former cop who read enough already and said, oh, good. See, I don't have to be a communist to be anti-war. Isn't that nice? Isn't that a liberating feeling? Okay, good. And so it changed him all around. And then he founded the Minnesota branch of the Defend the Guard movement and told me all about that, that it was my book that gave him the ability to do that, I guess, to finally admit that he was right. His warring dissonance in his own head, the opposition view actually was right after all. And he was finally allowed to admit it to himself and got to real work on trying to push Defend the Guard there and with some success. I came home from there and I saw on Twitter where someone said, nobody cares about these debates. They never change anyone's mind and never make any difference anyway. And I'm like, yeah, well, I don't know. In this case, it did. You know, oh, and I said the book, it was the debate. He saw the debate with Crystal. I got confused. I was thinking of Dan McKnight on the book there. I'm sorry. This guy from Minnesota had seen the debate with Crystal and her, I guess, in my opening statement where I just went down the laundry list of horrors and failures. And he was like, all right, that's it. I'm liberated now from having to believe in that stuff and got to work. So we do our part and then other people pick up from there and you never know what difference it's going to make. I don't think there's any question, Tom, that we live in a different America today because of the efforts of antiwar.com and lewrockwell.com and the Mises Institute and the Independent Institute and Future Freedom Foundation. And for that matter, Doug and Ted, even though Ted's with us now, but the two best guys at Cato and our libertarian movement and all the people I'm leaving out to the last 20 years here. And of course, Ron Paul and that whole movement, it'd be an entirely different and much worse country without us. I know that. So... Well, I will once again make my appeal to folks that, Scott, I know you're at work on another book that will be of lasting significance. This won't be one of these books that the people at the cable, like another Sean Hannity book. These are not books that change the world or that make people think or that are a permanent record or that will want to go back and study. But your books are. And what you're doing right now, the book on Ukraine, but that also, of course, necessarily has a lot of material on exactly what we've been talking about today, is of very great significance. And there are very few people who would or indeed could write such a book. 
And you're trying to do this while also balancing the Libertarian Institute, the Scott Horton Show, and everything else you're doing, flying around the country. Give Scott a break. Help him out. He's doing this for us. Help him out. You can do that by going to libertarianinstitute.org and clicking donate or scotthorton.org and clicking donate. Help him out because he's doing a lot of unheralded work and a lot of tiring, tiring work. And let's help him out because it helps all of us out when he does what he does. So Scott, you're a very, very gracious person also to agree to be a guest on this program two days in a row. So for that and for everything else, I say thank you. Of course, anytime, my friend. And you know, I uh, forgot to say yesterday when you asked me, but it is very important that I've been invited to give a speech at the next Ron Paul event. It's the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity is hosting an event in Houston, Texas. And people can just go to the Ron Paul Institute website and click the link at the top of the page there. And I'm not sure who all is speaking other than me and Dan McAdams and Dr. Paul, but should be a really great one. And that is on June the 3rd, Saturday, June the 3rd, coming up soon here. Well, just so you know, at the end of yesterday's episode, I appended a little additional note in which I mentioned that. And then I put okay. the link to the Eventbrite to get tickets on the show notes page. So I'll do the Perfect. same for today's episode. TomWoods.com slash 2334. I will also have a link to the event featuring Scott Horton, Dan McAdams, Ron Paul, and whoever else. So thanks again, Scott. Let's not wait. It's my fault, but we won't wait quite so long to talk again. Happy to do it always, Tom. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.